the first narrative is this, what I would call like the overlay narrative where you have old, old, old technology yeah. as your controllers, right? Yeah, yeah. And then we're adding all this intelligence to kind of make up for the shortcomings of the old technology, right? Yeah. So that's where you have analytics software sitting on top of and integrating with the old technology, using pulling the data, but also sending commands. That would be the overlay paradigm, I guess. Yeah. All of those platforms, all of those solutions are making up for these shortcomings that we can actually just remove from the whole equation by yeah. starting at, at the edge with intelligence. You are listening to the Beyond Buildings podcast, where we talk to innovative leaders on how they create optimal value in a smart world context. We combine strategy and technology talk to absorb reality, embrace uncertainty, and to go from path dependency to path creation. It's smart cities, it's smart buildings, it's data strategies, it's construction, it's real estate and industry 4.0, and most of all, it's smart people. And remember, it's the data you don't have that will change your life. With your host, the future shaper, the ecosystem architect, Nicholas Wern. This episode is sponsored by Platform of Trust. I like Platform of Trust because it enables companies to create value from any type of data. Therefore, it saves time, money, and it's the perfect tool for companies who want to make data-driven decisions on data they can trust. They make it easy to collect, harmonize, and trust the data from different sources and basically any source that you want. And you don't need to hire 10 IT technicians or spend hundreds of thousands for a cloud platform because Platform of Trust can manage integrations and you'll see if something goes down in real time. Platform of Trust enables companies to take action based on the data that you can trust. Today, not tomorrow. This episode is one of the alpha podcast sessions for the Beyond Buildings podcast. I recorded this during the COVID coronavirus and I didn't have access to great tools or technology. But I wanted to record some of the great sessions I had when talking to interesting people in the smart city space. In this episode of the Beyond Buildings podcast, we get to talk to James Dice, energetic energy expert who knows everything there is to know about the energy aspect of smart buildings. This is a great episode because it actually exists as a digital twin, because James is the founder and creator of another podcast and newsletter that focuses on the technical aspects and energy side of things for buildings called Nexus. Needless to say, we had a lot to talk about. We discuss how we both started in the business, what's going on, cloud, edge, drivers, AI, machine learning, name dropping of about 20 companies, and the focus on people, and an overall conversation of what has happened, what is happening, and definitely what will happen next. This is a great episode by all accounts, and James is truly one of the leading experts in the world when it comes to energy optimizing buildings. So go above and beyond with the Beyond Buildings podcast. My experience with automated buildings was like, you know, I graduated from college, I get in and I'm like blown away by the first hundred days of my job, pretty much like yeah. right off the bat. I'm like, what is that? Like, this is not what I expected at all. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then I, I found automated buildings at some point and I just started to feel like, oh, like there's someone else out there that gets it. Right. And <laughs> yeah, yeah, those exactly. guys have been writing about these topics for, yeah. I think it's 20 years, right? Yeah, yeah, it is. It is crazy. It is, yeah. 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 But, so, I mean, okay, reverse uh, then. How did you yeah. come into this industry? Where did you start? What keeps you going as well, I guess? Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, mine's been a little bit more linear than yours. I'm super inspired by how you kind of just, 
went from one thing to the next until you found what it is, which is great. So yeah, my degree in college was in mechanical engineering and I'll try not to make this an hour and a half story, but <laughs> I took a sustainable energy course as an elective in my final year at school. And I had no idea what I wanted to do up until that point. I just knew I was kind of a tree hugger at that point. I, all, all I knew was like, I was reading treehugger.com, for instance. Okay. Uh, that was like okay. my most visited blog, probably in college. It's um, like I saving took, the world uh, intention, right? Something like that. Yes. Yeah, yes, exactly. exactly. That's, yeah. I didn't know what I wanted to do. All I knew was at that point in my life that I just wanted to play soccer. So, uh, yeah. so I played soccer in college. And I like to say that I, I majored in soccer and minored in mechanical engineering because <laughs> um, okay. it was like a full-time job. So anyway, I was in the sustainable energy course and the teacher kept bringing in guest speakers. And about halfway through the semester, he brought in Ann Hill, and Ann was a leader for a mechanical contractor, and she was starting an energy efficiency group within that mechanical contractor. And that group, so the mechanical contractor is called Murphy Company. They started a group called M360 that was focused on energy efficiency, retro commissioning, and performance contracting. So they were kind of growing into an energy service company. So they basically structure contracts so that the energy savings pay back the loan for the construction is is basically the the model. And so from there, I went to another ESCO called Energy Systems Group. Right around that transition, I started using analytics software. So this was, yeah, this was 2013. Okay. So I started using analytics software for retro commissioning. And then when we did a performance contract, we would install software to then maintain the savings throughout the life of the contract. So we would monitor buildings for the utility bills, but then we would also monitor the systems themselves using fault detection to make sure that what we expected was happening is actually happening. Exactly. Because that that works for your business model. Is it like EPC, energy performance contracting in total? Exactly. Yeah, okay. Yep, yep. So the savings are guaranteed. And so our motivation was if we monitor this, we can make sure that yeah, savings don't drift and exactly. nothing gets overridden yeah. and that type of thing. So I then went to Energy Systems Group and tried to kind of start the same model. That didn't work out. A year later, I ended up at a consulting firm called Sitton Energy Solutions as their director of analytics. And so they hadn't gotten into analytics yet. Yeah. And I knew this model is really powerful. And so they're just a straight consultancy. They don't do any construction or anything like that. So it's a different model than what I was used to. But what what was interesting about them is they're totally independent. So Mm -hmm. they could serve an owner and basically design the solution to what that owner needs, right? So we set up that model that we decided that we were going to be independent, but we also wanted to do and become an analytics shop in-house. And so we became a SkySpark reseller. Okay, yeah. And I started that from scratch. And so I was like the person who was selling it, the person who was managing it, <laughs> a little bit of the programming. Yeah. Um, I was managing the programmers. I was basically doing everything except for writing the code yeah, yeah. Uh, to make this all work. The way for uh, me mm-hmm. was a lot of that as well. I didn't write any code, okay. but I did like uh-huh. the marketing, the, like everything mm-hmm. and just trying to figure out like how to get this to market and how to satisfy yeah. the customer needs and just like that's how I learned everything so it's great I mean I think that was a great school for you as well I guess 
It was absolutely a school. Yeah. I mean, and I wasn't the only one, but I was kind of leading it. It was kind of yeah. my, my baby, but we created a business model around it. We created a new pricing model, a new message, right? So it's changing from, we're going to sell you this hour of consulting. Yeah. Um, we're really smart to changing that to, we're going to monitor your buildings and that's going to be a subscription and we're going to give you insights. So, I mean, we can talk more about that, but that was kind of the, the last four or five years before joining NREL. So we basically used SkySpark and then helped building owners implement SkySpark or implement other software if they were wanting to go in a different direction than SkySpark. So last summer then I decided I didn't want to do everything. I just wanted to focus on the technical side of analytics and kind of go deeper into less with specific building owners solutions because a lot of the building owners were, it sounds like they were behind, but they were behind, right? So we're selling <laughs> no, but I mean, like, solutions that- They are behind, but I think like, it's not their fault. No, absolutely. I think not. that's the case, right? I think like the whole industry is behind and yeah, it's someone's fault and maybe we know whose fault that is, but I don't think it's the owner's fault that they're behind. Yep. Yeah, I and mean, we can untangle that for weeks. Um, yeah. probably still not get there, but yeah. I was feeling like I wanted to kind of get to the cutting edge, if that makes yeah. sense. And, and NREL, where I currently work, they're at the cutting edge. And I get the chance to read and go deep and read research and talk to people like you. And I think I should probably qualify that nothing that I say represents NREL in any way, <laughs> but um, yeah, yeah. the job basically provides the ability to be a subject matter expert and kind of get to yeah. the bottom of what's holding back this industry so we can yeah. kind of knock down those, nice. those obstacles. So that's kind of my journey where I'm at today. That's really so, cool. So for NREL, like the company that you work for today, what do you do then? You're like this subject matter expert on all the things cutting edge and you help customers or you help the internal organization in picking the right tools or is it a combination or what is it that you do? So NREL is a national lab of the U.S. Department of Energy and there are 17 of them and I don't even know six months in if I could really explain how that system came to be and how we're different but our focus is energy efficiency and renewable energy Mm -hmm. so it started 40 years ago as like the pioneer in solar, essentially, like in the world. But now it's grown into this very large organization, so 2,500 people. And there's a lot of focus cutting in research. Our group has focused on that. It's more focused on applying the cutting edge research. So later stage technologies, helping organizations implement those later stage technologies. And the focus is on federal government, institutions, agencies, So we do a lot of work with the Department of Defense, GSA, kind of helping them with their portfolios and helping them. The way I like to think about it is, like I just said, knocking down obstacles. So how can we use our expertise to move whatever initiative forward that we can? So sometimes Mm -hmm. that looks like doing a demo. So like right now we're doing a demo for a certain type of analytics software um, and helping them decide out of their 10,000 buildings they have across the world, which one of those makes sense for this technology and which ones don't make sense. What are the energy savings? Does the technology work like it's supposed to work? Because there are a lot of claims out there, right? That- uh, Can you explain a bit more about that? I mean, all the platforms that are out there, they do everything, right? Isn't that true? What do you mean? (laughs) 
<laughs> yeah, everyone says if you talk to the marketing people at every company, yeah. they certainly it's, it's brutal. They do everything. They check every box. I just think that's funny because I say that even for me, but your journey and what you're doing right now is basically what I'm doing without 2,499 people, I guess. It's just mm -hmm. like trying yeah. to, yeah, be at the cutting edge mm -hmm. all times. But I still like, had to rein myself in actually for this recommendation for the digital twin company. Because even if like with, if you use the cutting edge stuff, it's not really sure that one that it, yeah, maybe the technology works, but does it scale? Mm -hmm. uh, do they have support? Is it documentation? Yeah. Is it proven? Uh, regulations? So many things, right? So it has to be a combination of utilizing partners and existing stuff, as well as I think like trying to at least use the cutting edge to get an edge over both competitors right. and finding margins and these kind of things as well. For me, yeah, it's been really exactly what you say, just knocking down doors and climbing into windows and just all these kind of things just to yeah. find the problems and then find a solution that just works to go through it. I mean, that's the only thing mm -hmm. that I've been doing the last five years. And I think I have managed to find both the people, I think, and a lot of solutions that if deployed correctly, even today, you could solve everything, I guess. It's not really anything stopping us except for people and processes right. and all these kind of things, right? But yeah, we have so much in common. So we're almost at the same, well, we're definitely at the same path, I guess. I mean, wanting to yeah. say we both pre-huggers, I guess, wanting to change <laughs> the world to a better place, right. saving energy, saving people. But I think like you wrote in your blog about digital twins, about like the jobs to be done, right? And yeah. you said like the two primary jobs is one is creating better buildings for people, something like that at least. Mm -hmm. And the other one was making it a financial play. I guess like real estate or how could real estate owners get a better financial return of investment or something with, yeah, right. that, that's the other job to be done, right? And I was right. thinking about that. I couldn't really find what I thought was wrong with it, but I didn't think it worked. <laughs> correct either even though i think it's 100 correct <laughs> because i think okay. like something uh, fishy about it you're not yeah not there's something I, I hopefully i can uh, respond in this call or i have to get back to you but i think like uh -huh. so my point in that on that subject is you're absolutely right and i think like the first point in terms of people i mean no one really cares in terms of hvac or technology i mean no one is really talking about it there's no kpis there's no metrics really mm -hmm. comfy we got swallowed by siemens i guess they were pretty close of yeah. like i mean pushing towards that kpi or that side of the industry but i think like it's not something that you really measure and the other one in terms of net operating income or how it corresponds to increased real estate value that's also spot on i think that's how i've been talking about IT investments or investing in technology the last couple of years, at least. Because mm -hmm. before it was more like IoT this, IoT that. And I mean, you can do everything, but we don't want to do anything. Okay. Yeah. So it's like, Absolutely. okay, fair enough. What are the jobs to be done? What are the solutions? Not talking about technology mm -hmm. whatsoever, just finding out, okay, what kind of problems do you have? And then just reverse engineering that into a questionnaire. Again, not just talking about technology and helping people finding the answers of their own. I think that's really, really important because... I see a huge gap between tech companies talking blockchain, AI, machine learning, and these uh, elite yeah. jargon, as something was said, like on LinkedIn, right? right. I, mean, I think it's needed, but it's not needed in the sense of if you really want your products to get adopted, then mm -hmm. I think like you need to understand the customer better, understand the value propositions. And again, going back to Clayton Christensen, which he was uh, a legend. I love Innovators Dilemma. Right. I love 
how to measure your life and uh, competing against luck. And I love his books. Phenomenal. Yeah. I love everything that he's done, to be honest. Porters. That was like international management was more about strategy. And Korea also studied a lot of strategy. It's the same actually in Switzerland. And I think that's what's just going back between why I chose this industry, I guess, was a strategic decision because I okay. knew that it was going to happen. You see like smartphones, that's the same, right? Or mainframe computers, smartphones. You see uh, cars right now, exactly the same thing. You get tests like who's getting like a software approach and then you have like mm -hmm. some hardware in it. Whilst the traditional yeah. car manufacturers, they have hardware, then they're trying to jam some software in that, but it's still just a hardware thing and they got a huge, I mean, organization and people and processes and this legacy base that is really, really difficult to get away from. And I saw exactly the same thing that, I mean, this is going to happen. This was five or six years ago again. So this is definitely mm. going to happen in buildings. So it's just a strategic choice and learning more and more about like buildings, uh, like the 60% or 50% energy consumption in the world, 90% indoors. Right. Again, like right. going back to saving the world, right? So it's yeah. something that is bound to happen. You can get a good impact learning about backnet. 60% of all commercial real estate, one API to backnet. It's just like, sounds so mm. easy to do it. The problem is I think like no one really in the industry wants to do it. I think there are a lot of people outside the industry that really wants this to happen, but uh, still finding it really, really tough to get mm. data out of buildings and can't really figure out what building automation is all about. And I think that's right. where we're going to see a lot of mergers and definitely acquisitions from the tech giants. And not only like Siemens buying companies within their own sphere, but actually like Google, Amazons and Alibaba's yeah. buying MSIs and these companies because of they know actually what they're doing. Yeah. I definitely see that that's going to happen in the next five years a lot to, to add to the competence and skill set of actually doing the stuff that is needed for buildings. And I think I hope, well, that was actually a Freudian thing, but I believe at least that this mm -hmm. will happen. It's going to increase the speed of value creation. Because I see yeah. there's a lot of slowness in the industry today, unfortunately. There is, yeah. And I second that notion of, I often feel like a lot of us that write about this and talk about this like we're doing right now, yeah. there's this sense of this should happen. But then when you go talk to someone that runs a building, I don't feel like we're speaking the same language yeah. in a lot of ways, right? A good example is this with coronavirus, right? So now when we're having this discussion, Corona is everywhere, right? Yeah. And that's going to have right. a huge impact on the economy and everything. But I mean, a guy in my network is working with indexing buildings. So shout out to Timo Merberger uh, at okay. Hub API Systems. So basically what they do is you just go in, index all the data, making it easier for others to actually... So like in Google, making it like uh, the data in, in searchable, like Google basically, in buildings okay. and uh, building systems and economy systems, all these kind of things. He shared something on LinkedIn, which was that, I mean, we've seen the urgency. So that's what I'm getting at. I mean, there's no sense of urgency. So, but mm -hmm. we, we see the urgency now with the coronavirus, right? I mean, everyone is right. like the transports, uh, meetings, the whole Italy, Sweden. You can't uh, be in places with over 500 people. I'm working yep. from home, you're working from home, all these kind of things yep. in the last, what, two months, three months, maybe? Uh, like the yeah, sense of urgency, right? mobilized around yeah, this issue. Yeah, it's crazy. Right. But mm. imagine if that would happen with climate change. Absolutely. And again, like, why aren't we doing that? So I just reshared yeah. it and I just said, like, okay, if it's not happening to me, as in me, me, as in every person thinks that way, I'm not going to do it, right? 
uh, right. or if it's not happening to me, well, I said like, if it's not happening to me now, I'm not going to do anything. If it happening to me mm -hmm. in five months, I don't care. If it's happening yeah. to someone else now, I don't really care. If it's happening to someone else in five months, or let's say 20 years or 10 years, why would mm -hmm. I do anything, right? I think like right. that's the biggest problem. I think for me, and maybe for you, I feel that sense of urgency. I felt it for like the last, I don't know, 20 years, maybe growing up in Absolutely. videos or reading too much comics about the Phantom and the Superman and saving the world. Maybe that's, <laughs> maybe that's the reason, I don't know. But I mean, Yeah, mine was Captain Planet. Oh, okay, exactly. But I mean, like, yeah, I think yeah. that's something. I mean, do you have kids? I know you have a cat, but just a cat, no okay, kids yet. But still, I mean, you have to leave a better world for the cat. We got two small kids, yeah. so, and I just want them to grow up in a better world that mm -hmm. I grew up in. And I think now, especially for young generations that are like twenty-year-olds, I mean, they're not. They're not thinking that. I mean, they think like no, okay, this, it's horrible. We can't get any jobs. The planet is dying all of these kind of things. I mean, Greta actually from Sweden, she's mm -hmm. turning the urgency in the um, younger segments, but then it's like right. the okay boomer movement as well. Like fair enough. It's a lot of these things going on. Uh, but, but I, I do like, feel like that's changing, yeah. right? So that, I hope that so. tide I hope so. feels I hope like so. it's shifting. So when I moved from St. Louis, we were working on getting the first benchmarking ordinance passed in St. Louis. So shout out to the local USGBC chapter in St. Louis. Uh, and Emily Andrews and everything she's doing there. But I know you don't know the cultural and politics of America, but if something's happening in the Midwest yeah. that is that progressive, because you see everything happening in New York, you see oh, yeah, yeah. On the coast. Philly just passing yeah. these building optimization laws, essentially, right? But if you see that happening in St. Louis, that usually means, hey, something, <laughs> something is really on. happening. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. yeah. And I think what I'm seeing is like this shift. I mean, you see Fifth Wall and all the capital they're raising for these types of technologies, but you see it at, on the the mandate and the ordinance and the and the laws being passed. It does feel like there's some sort of shift happening, at least yeah. in my little piece of the world, right? I really, yeah. really hope so. Mm -hmm. You're talking about like the ones running the building, right? So I think there are a lot of things happening yeah. down here at a grassroots or like the ones who are really suffering, right? Or maybe not all of them, but some of them at least. And yeah. then it's some stuff happening maybe up here, but it's still like the whole PropTech stuff or going green and human development goals and so many mm -hmm. PropTech funds like Fifth Wall and these initiatives where it's becoming also a fashion, I guess. So maybe it's a lot of greenwashing, but I don't really care if it goes to something that actually promotes yeah. the planet. I don't really care. Right. Captain Planet. But uh, exactly. <laughs> and I can see a shift also in the, the way technology is being deployed only like mm -hmm. five years ago. I mean, even then, when I talked about IoT or even if you have that jargon of technology, now there's still like, even if it's a lot of hype, of course, about AI, machine learning, I use the tags all the time in my LinkedIn posts. I don't know if it's mm -hmm. good or bad, but I mean, I think <laughs> it's something that people are responding more to and they see that yeah. when I go home, I... I use Netflix, I use all these kind of things. And it's just like one click, two clicks, or mm -hmm. I get all this piece of information and I use modern interfaces that don't look like horrible. <laughs> and when I go to work, I use like 20 year old technology and 20 year old, right. 30 year old interfaces. And it's just absolutely catastrophic. There are some companies at least that are progressive. And I think like they they see that their workforce is 50 plus middle-aged men mostly. Mm -hmm. And yeah. how are they going to hire? They can't hire anyone. Everyone goes mm -hmm. to Spotify or something else. So it's the skill short. How are they going to hire if they have 
30 year old technology that they're yeah but i mean it's impossible I mean, no one would right. like to work with them you said it yourself it was like was that 10 years ago I mean, all the mm -hmm. stuff you learn in school, right? I mean, it's a classic in every industry, but I mean, some are worse yeah. than others, I guess. Then you go out and feel, wow, they're using this, this, and this. And then he's like, yeah. are you kidding? Yeah, it's just like, and I think like that was maybe acceptable. You have a lot of choices and going the developer route and you know that you can find a job that pays well or, yeah, why would you choose something that you know that you can work with 30-year-old technology, uh, working with a lot of manual processes and most of your day goes to hunting for information and the rest of the day goes to validating that information. It's absolutely mind-blowingly crazy. And I'm not only talking about like the build and automation side, it's the technical asset management side that is exactly the same. Like this whole industry for me, one of my all-time greatest posts on LinkedIn was like when I said that the industry is broken. And that mm -hmm. was because Troy Harvey, he didn't own up to it, Troy. I know he thinks like that, but I think like it is broken and it's yeah. not the people, but it's just like the industry in itself in the silos and the manual ways of working, the vendor locking, all of these kind of things. It's just something needs to happen. And I think like it's not going to come from the industry. It's definitely going to come again from tech learning real estate instead of real estate learning tech. Maybe. Right. Yeah. My second best post, at least this year was the future of smart city thinking or something like that, right? Okay. And our session at the HR Expo in Orlando was all about uh, open, like open standards, mm -hmm. interoperability, that is the future, all these kind of things. So, and I think what Troy and them are doing, it's definitely Tesla, but I think it's more like Apple in the okay. sense that they like come the to market with a, yeah, exactly, with a really nice looking product. Fantastic, mm -hmm. great piece of technology, flawless, so combined with wireless stuff, but what it does integrated do, technology, right? So yeah, yeah, not, absolutely. Everything is in a package. Stack. Yeah, exactly. So everything is integrated and you get one API to the building and delivers quality data and then they have a partner ecosystem. So I mean, like, and I know they got a serious order book coming from the US and elsewhere as well. However, I don't think it's disruptive in the sense that it's, I had like three stages, right? So one is for like the legacy technology, you use a lot of wired, a lot of vendor lock-in proprietary systems. I mean, basically where we are today uh, with old okay. technology, right? Yeah. ID loop sequencing, these kind of things. And then you take the next level, which is basically Troy stuff. So cutting edge technology, you do AI machine learning, deep digital twin, as you like to put it, mm -hmm. really disrupting the technology side of things or taking in what the world has to offer in a box, right? But at the mm -hmm. same time, you still have to use their stuff. You still have to use their system okay. in order to drag and drop. And it's still part of their offering. Again, yeah. like if you look at the jobs to be done, something for people, something for real estate owners, perfect. Mm -hmm. It fits the bill. Right. But in yeah. terms of taking the industry to the next level, so I have three levels. One is legacy technology, all in a box, old technology, right? And here we have mm -hmm. new technology, but still in a box. And you have to use their sort of like it's some kind of vendor locking, at least with proprietary systems. Yeah, it's modern technology, exactly. but it's not. It, it catches us up, Yeah, but it's still restarting the industry Yeah, a little bit. So yeah. this industry started as closed proprietary in the 80s, right? Yeah. And we've been kind of trying to undo that exactly, <laughs> for, exactly. for 30 plus years now. Yeah, yeah I mean, no, so, not, so I think not like- Not us, but other people. All the automatedbuildings.com guys and girls, women, <laughs> and everyone else, like Mike Newman and everyone else has just been trying to do this, right? So I'm not really sure if Troy is going to use BackNet as the interoperable layer or whatever he's going to use. I hope he's going to use it for something akin to it. 
because I think mm-hmm. like again, so like the third level is you have products that are open, open source or whatever. And mm-hmm. basically if you go into the building, it's just an API. Okay. And then you can select yeah. whatever you want to do from the top. You can have whatever software you want to run. It's basically going to be like, okay, let's install this. Okay. Let's install this from Troy, let's say. And then yeah. I pump it down and make you use it. Ah, let's uninstall it. And I can use this stuff from James or from Siemens or from Schneider or from Distech or from some BMS suite or whatever. It doesn't really matter. So like mm-hmm. all the integration should definitely happen up the top. And I mean, that's our less focus on integration, more of value creation of innovation. But I think that yeah. this is what sets it apart. But I'm, I haven't really, I've tried to get a hold of Troy, but he's a busy man. And so I've been busy as well. But just mm-hmm. to if this is true, but I think it is. And like the, the, the side I see again, like the third level, which is again, like just total separation of hardware and software and possibly also more wireless, definitely. So mm-hmm. I'm talking to a lot to Philip Kopp from California. So he's super crazy. I mean, you're pretty crazy. I'm pretty crazy. He's <laughs> brutal crazy because he's also been in this industry for like 20 years coming on from the energy side and just figuring out like how broken this building automation side is. So he really wants mm-hmm. to disrupt everything. As in like you have like these controllers today, a lot of wired stuff. He just wants to make wireless out of everything, even like the mm-hmm. base infrastructure, as well as augmenting it with um, their proprietary or their actually fantastic software piece of uh, wireless mesh. So basically okay. what it does, I mean, if you look at it- from, is that, is that what Yeah, exactly. His- He's really- pushing me to be really cutting edge as well uh, because he's talking and I'm doing the same, but I mean about blockchain based stuff and green processing mm-hmm. and all these kind of things. But I mean, and it's something that we definitely can do. But anyways, just so, going back to wrap this up, I just- I was going to say, yeah, yeah. So let's go back to the third mo- third level there. Yeah. So, so first level is legacy, basically where 99% of the buildings are today. Yeah. Second level is passive logic. I think I'm stuck on where you're placing them. You're placing them at this level because they might have an API where they're going to share the data and there might be yeah. some sort of app store, but everything below that is, so yeah. everything at the hardware level exactly. below like, that API. Exactly. I think like for me, when I see it, if you look inside the building, right, you use the mm-hmm. product, you might, I know that you can use it as a JSON. you put it at the top and then yeah. you sort of like oversteer or yeah, use machine learning and artificial intelligence run scenarios on the existing equipment. So you make that work in your favor without having to rip it out or knowing exactly mm-hmm. what it does, right? And then you can augment it with wireless stuff. But again, like I think you have to use their software offering in order to do this. And I mean, like their software offering is brutal. It's it's fantastic. It's great. So why yeah. wouldn't you do it? But again, like if you look but that's at that's not like, the point. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. That's not the point, really. Yeah. It's the same with like Apple. I mean, if you look at their products and the product suite, it works. Just a couple of years ago, I mean, I've been an Android fan for years. Uh, mm-hmm. But at the same time, when I'm trying to integrate it flawlessly with my computer or phone or, or my ear pods or whatever, there's always some hassle. You always have to do something, right? right? So even if like this third level is where the industry should be uh, or whatever you want to call it, it's mm-hmm. still integration work. It's still APIs. It's still a lot of these kind of things, right? So it depends on how you see it, but I definitely think their product is phenomenal. On to counter that with, so Dave Lapsley is another cool character from the UK. So they have been a systems integrator for, I don't know, forever, I guess, working out the UK, specializing mm-hmm. in 
well, every controller there is, and they've seen all the problems and they've wanted to do something about it. So they create a software suite called Sentinel and Bubble as well for more user interaction. So they, I think like they got a pad in the process yeah. of turning backlit objects into, so like drag and drop Android environment. So it's like it got a native backnet to Android app bridge, which is okay. pretty cool. And it works in the same way as passive logic in the sense that you can replace the JSON or put it in the building, okay. then understand everything, how it goes on, and then one API to blah, blah, blah. So basically the same, but the difference okay. that they've only got software. So they can put it on a tablet, they can put it on a generic hardware something, uh, yeah. all of these kind of things. So there's a true separation of hardware and software. I see. Which is not the case with Troy stuff. So that's a minor point, right? Yeah. Not to say that their stuff is better or that passive logic stuff is better. It's just different. Mm -hmm. And I'm trying to, like the companies I'm consulting for, just showing the pros and cons. I can't really say, I mean, this is better, this is worse. This is what it is. Because that's the only thing it can do, I think. So with the passive logic model, I mean, one thing I like is that the down to the edge, every controller has intelligence as to where it sits in the building, yeah. what it does, who it is, what its name is, what it's connected to, exactly. um, what its purpose is. Um, so just Troy calls that the deep digital twin. Yeah. Um, so in that third layer model where mm -hmm. you have hardware and software disconnected, you could run any software on any hardware. How do you get that functionality in that future world? It's a great question. And luckily, I've actually got the answer. Well, maybe. Okay. So I've been trying to figure this out. So whenever I stumble into uh, like a roadblock, I try to get over it. And it doesn't mm -hmm. really depend if I go into smart grid, if I go into construction, or if I go into asset management, it doesn't really matter. So there are three companies. The one was the one with Timo that does indexing of the data in buildings. So there you, you saw that's like- called Hub API? Yeah, Hub API systems or Hub API integration, I think. But basically what they do, like they go in, they take all the data sources, you, you make it searchable, and you sort of like can tie it together. There's another mm -hmm. company called um, Onify, which is also part of their offering from Serenity, which does the same thing. So basically you go in, you have all, you take all the data, you sort of like create tags, I would say, or index it, and then they have like the tools to pull them together and also create a, a user interface. It's a combination of indexing the files and also RPA, which is called robotic process automation. So you can yeah. also do these things easier. But the one that I have in mind the most is something called Platform of Trust coming out of Finland. And sure. they're sort of like owned by the unions. So the unions in Finland, in terms of construction, mm -hmm. in terms of real estate, I think th those yeah. are the ones that are sort of like behind Platform of Trust. And they also receive, okay. I think, like 10 million euro funding or something. So, so basically what they do is they have a self-service platform. So it does two things. First of all, it's business oriented. So again, like if you have all these disparate data connections and basically what you said, you don't know how that ties into either the digital twin or how they relate to each other, anything like that. So they have something to go in, again, do the indexing. And then they have something called so like a trust score. So they know where, what data they can be able to trust, where it's coming from based on like 10 or 12 different parameters. And mm -hmm. then they have like a self-service tool. So you can actually sort of like match these together. And this is yeah. also becoming more into an automated process. So that's where you can, okay, let's say you go in with, well, a BMS analytics suite so that controls all these kind of things. You use this mm -hmm. kind of platform to tie it together. So you have this sort of like the relationships between them as well. 
and then you yeah. maybe you do the indexing so you can actually tag it up so make it sense of it and then maybe you have something in between as in a streaming platform where you inject the metadata tagging schemas or apologies yeah. like haystack or brick or whatever you want right mm -hmm. that's a combination of again like utilizing all these kind of things in an open way interoperable way but of course you have to know what you're doing you have to find the solutions you have to find someone that does it but if you package all of this together in a box in a building then you get troy stuff right you want to buy that for a really good price the dusted job or these two jobs mm -hmm. or do you want to have openness so that you have a building that anyone can work on in the future i mean i'm not saying that uh, troy and and passive logic are keeping the buildings for themselves forever but i mean mm -hmm. like you you're gonna pay someone so why not pay them as well so it's just like different right. sort of philosophies i guess or perspectives and how to create uh, intelligent buildings. Yeah, and I do like the analogy of Apple and Android. I really think you could talk about the similarities between Passive Logic and Tesla like I did, but it's really like a, they're creating the iPhone yeah, of yeah. buildings essentially, which is something that we do need. I think one thing that, they, that Troy has opened my eyes to is these two separate narratives that we have going on. And I think maybe you're hitting on those two narratives as you're talking about this. But the first narrative is this, what I would call like the overlay narrative, where you have old, old, old technology yeah. as your controllers, right? Yeah, yeah. And then we're adding all this intelligence to kind of make up for the, the shortcomings of the old technology, right? Yeah. So that's where you have um, analytics software sitting on top of and integrating with the old technology, using pulling the data, but also sending commands. That would be the overlay paradigm, I guess. Yeah. And what Troy's saying is, no, all of those platforms, all of those solutions are making up for these shortcomings that we can actually just removed from the whole equation by yeah. starting at, at the edge with intelligence. There was a build smart from start, right? Mm -hmm. Why wouldn't you do that? So I think like, no, I, I definitely agree. And I mean, there's only, I guess, so much you can do with technology that came into existence 20 years ago using technology based on like 50 years ago. I think that's right. definitely what he's saying as well, like going in and ripping everything out. And I think I know that Philip Cobb from Connectric is also the same mindset to just like forget about it, just go out, rip it out and do that kind of thing, right? So, and I'm not really sure. I'm on a little bit on the fences because I know that buildings are pretty slow moving, at least, mm -hmm. I mean, okay, when we're going to get to smart grid inclusivity and no balancing buildings and and all these kind of things, then it's going to be yeah. faster data and more cohesiveness in a smart city environment, I guess. And it's going to be a lot of data is going to go back and forth. So maybe that's where you actually need to do these kind of things. And then probably you need to do it now, right? But uh, well, yeah, I think what my thought is, is that we have these two paradigms, right? Yeah. Choice coming in with this new paradigm, but we, we're going to have both yeah, for the long term foreseeable future, right? Yeah. There's so many building owners out there that just made a BIS upgrade yeah, like exactly. yesterday, yeah. right? All the people that have made them in the last 15 years that just yeah. like they don't have the capital to replace all that hardware wiring. They just don't. So they're going to have a BAS, right? So yeah, absolutely. they're going to have these old 30-year-old technology that they just yeah. installed yesterday. They're going to have that for a while. So there are millions of buildings out there that are like that. Yeah. So these paradigms are going to coexist. Maybe that's the case. Maybe I'm just time. too 
hardcore and wanted to choose the best solution at all times. But I think like you're absolutely yeah. right. I think when I talk to, and I think this is interesting, if you go like in the third bracket and just using cutting edge technology and that works in silos, so to say, but in an interoperable way, I mean, there are companies like Equino and Stream Analyze, both of them from Sweden that have these small machine learning AI frameworks that you can put on a sensor level or in an edge gateway level. And I've seen mm-hmm. it actually work so that it learns the building and then it helps the building sort of do all the things that it should be done. My previous office, when I was a management consultant, we had on Fridays, everyone's supposed to come in uh, to eat breakfast, right? And of okay. course, like what you call like the CO2 levels and the temperature in the cantina or in the, in the restaurant at the uh-huh. office was just like horrible. Yeah. It couldn't yeah. be there. What they sort of claimed and what I saw in action as well was that you put these AI machine learning um, so like algorithms and you tweak it in such a way so that, okay, it should learn, right? So then you connect it to a couple of other different data sources. So let's say like mm-hmm. the yeah, CO2 sensoring, temperature sensors, meeting bookings, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And then we, you can see that it doesn't need to have access to like the classic trends or historical data. It just learns the behavior and she creates yeah. a digital DNA, especially for that building. So that building actually runs itself. It's just dependent on okay. whatever data sources you take in. So that's mm-hmm. also something that sort of like negates the fact that you have to rip and replace. Because if you can get this and get it at the top, work with mm-hmm. something that sort of like oversteers the existing stuff, then why not? It should work. Because you have a meeting booking for 100 people on Friday. The mm-hmm. system knows this on Wednesday or Thursday or Thursday right. evening then it's going to sort of like make those adjustments beforehand and it's going to go towards that scenario. It could be done, but again, like it has to, you have to know what you're looking for. You mm-hmm. have to have specialized skill set. Again, going back to Troy stuff or Dave stuff, it's not rock. They made it so easy so that maybe you could do it. I probably couldn't do it. But I mean, like someone with the experience and the skill set can actually do it in a really modern way. So I think like, those two, their solutions is for me, I think, they're the cutting edge, yeah. so to say. Absolutely. Okay. So again, like going back, to, I would just want to make the world a better place. I mean, I'm going to advise on the best tools for that job. Yeah. And right now, I, I definitely think they're the ones, but in five years, and I think this goes back to the traditional ways of working in this industry. I mentioned this at the, uh, one of the, so like the seminars at the HR, and Brad mm-hmm. White, who's working at, uh, what's it called, out of Canada anyway, with energy management. Okay, why did you install these products? What do you mean? I mean, why did you choose uh, this vendor? I mean, we've okay. had them for 20 years. Or like, they installed it the last time. Right. And that's also like the argument of why you should use <laughs> it, right? And for me... Because they knocked on our door. And yeah, yeah. Well, yeah we but might I mean, as like, well have chosen them. <laughs> yeah. And I think that that sense of loyalty towards something... I mean, maybe they have fantastic products. That's not what I'm saying. But I mean, like, my loyalty yeah. goes to the ones who get the job done in the best way, open way, interoperable way, fastest way or whatever that can contribute to a better building, better society, better planet and better buildings for people. That's where my loyalty lies. And that's, I hope that's where it's going to lie forever, I guess. The primary jobs to be done in in a building are um, make the occupants happy, right? And the primary example that we use in the HVAC world is keep them comfortable, right? So whatever they're there to do in that building, the building should support them in that. That's the yeah, exactly. that's the job. And the second one is a lot of times buildings are an investment for the owner of the building, right? Yeah. So they're, they're trying to make a profit and everything that happens in that building is to support that 
profit, which is understandable. I love the old Vitruvius architect saying like uh, buildings are just three things, right? It just has to be three things. One is okay. robust in the sense that it has to pass the test of time. Right? So that is a building. It has to be robust and it has to be useful. Mm-hmm. This is what you said as well. I mean, for the tenants yeah. or whoever is in there, it has to be fit for purpose. A hospital, a school, office building, mm-hmm. whatever is different. I love that. And the third one is attractive. And that's something I definitely think is missing. So like robust, useful, and attractive. And the funny thing is here, if a building is also a system, I guess, Mm -hmm. and a system is made up of all these different parts, right? So if you have to have the building that's going to be robust, useful, and attractive, inherently you have to use products that are robust, useful, and attractive. And I would say like products today in the industry, if you go back to the first bracket, are maybe robust sort of useful in a way, yeah. not attractive in the slightest, not for the users. And I think that's exactly what Troy wanted to change. He wanted to yeah. put a fantastic piece of technology into the hands of the installers. That's awesome. That is robust, useful, and it's attractive. And I think that's the first one that I've seen. And that's why I probably why they're going so well. And this is something I tried to do at GoIoT for different reasons. We couldn't mm-hmm. really do it. And when you look back at Nest, as a product or iPhone. I'm from Sweden. Absolutely. So many companies, so many friends that or colleagues even that worked at Ericsson at the time or even Nokia, my Finnish friends, they were just bashing on the iPhone, right? It's okay. crappy technology. The antenna doesn't work. It's just horrible. Our technology yeah. is much, much better. We've been in the business for 20 years. Who do you think they are? Similar to what everyone was saying about Tesla as well. But the thing mm-hmm. is, they just hit the attractive name. You know, like yeah. that's that's the stuff. It's just like attractiveness. That's the thing. It was something new for the ones mm. who were using it. If you yeah, look it at Nest, good. yeah, but I mean, it looked good. It, it didn't even know it, it felt good, but it looked good. If you look at Nest as a product, as a smart thermostat, it wasn't really brilliant or innovative or right. anything. It's beautiful. That's the only thing that it was. So I think, like, again, going back to who are we doing this for? It's people and yeah. normal people, I guess. Mm-hmm. As in not the tech nerds. I love to talk about all this stuff, but I mean, not a lot of people do. Yeah. And it's definitely like the owners. So they need mm-hmm. something that you can talk about. Okay, how is this robust and useful? And how is this attractive as well in terms of just visually pleasing, but of course, attractive in the terms of user experience, user interaction. And I think that's really, really important. I think that's just a simple way of measuring this. And this is just also something with the beautiful part when you were talking about this is that how does this product uh, whatever it is that like you're screening or vetting or even developing as a product, how does this contribute to these two jobs? Okay, so you yeah. have like three products, right? And then you say, okay, product A, B, C. This product, how does it contribute to, number one, the job to be done with people? Mm-hmm. And how does it contribute to, well, my well net operating profit, whatever it is? And then yeah. there's a lot, of, a lot of stuff around it in terms of support, documentation, robust usefulness, attractiveness, all these kind of things. But again, like having that as a true North Star, I've only been using actually mostly the, the people aspect. But I've also, again, like when I talk to real estate owners, it's just about, yeah, just talking about net operating profit and uh, real estate value. And the, the holy grail in Sweden is definitely not about lowering the cost. It's about finding new business models and new revenue streams. Yeah, exactly. That's the holy grail because that's exponential. The other one is just like a, what do you call it, like zero-sum game. It's, right. It has a bottom, right? Finding new yep. business models, leveraging the data, not necessarily going the Facebook way of selling the data, but finding ways around it uh, or in it that corresponds again back to number one and two 
or the James Dice the holy <laughs> holy two, right? I mean, I, I, exactly. I think like that's beautiful. I think that's phenomenal. I think. So we haven't really Whoa. talked about digital twins that much. Maybe that's for the next. next we'll have to do uh, part, talk, part two. But, uh, yeah. yeah. Thanks yeah. again. I think this has been a valuable conversation for me. Thank you. Thanks for the time and thanks for yeah. the wisdom. Thanks so much for what you're doing. Your blog and the newsletter is phenomenal. And Thank again, you. like I know I recommended you for Unisys stuff. I'm going to keep recommending you for stuff. I think what you're doing is absolutely fantastic. So thanks a lot. I really appreciate it. Thanks a lot. Speak soon. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Beyond Buildings podcast. And also a big thank you to our sponsor, Platform of Trusts. For those of you who want to collect, harmonize and trust data from anywhere in the world and make sense of it in a much, much faster way than ever before. Thank you.